the idea for this episode is if we didn't have users <laughs> legacy users what would you change about pytest if you could change stuff actually i actually have a lot of ideas here Welcome to Test and Code. Welcome to PyTest. <laughs> PyTest and Code. PyTest and Code. Welcome to Test and Code. Anthony, you're on the again. You've been on the show so many times, but we have Anthony. I'm back. Anthony, welcome back to the show. But it's been like a year. I can't believe it's been a year since we've talked. Yeah, it's always good to always good to chat with you. I always appreciate hanging out with you. Uh, you've been doing a lot of videos. You do a lot of YouTube tutorial videos, though, right? Yep, I am up to video. I think I released, well, this is going to date the recording, but I think I released version, video 460 this morning. So I've, I've been very busy with YouTube. Wow. And do, so do you have a process uh, for this? I mean, do you, do you get it? You have it down so that it, by now you can just sort of sit down and it just happens or yeah so i i try and make it as lightweight as possible so it isn't a huge time sink for me but basically i have a wiki page with right now it's around 100 video ideas that are things that are like oh i could probably you know sit down and talk about this uh i sometimes do a little bit of research beforehand if it's a more complicated topic or there's some particularly fiddly commands i need to run into it uh but other than that i basically sit down uh press record, do a live demo, talk about my thoughts through the thing, uh, point out interesting things, link it to other videos on similar topics. And rarely I will edit things if there's you know mistakes or stuff I need to glue together. But other than that, it's, it's pretty low effort for me. Uh, a lot of the video ideas come in from my Twitch chat while I'm streaming. People ask questions, and I'll uh, record those down. Some of the other ideas come from things I've answered on Stack Overflow that I think are interesting or stuff that comes up in code reviews or uh, interesting, funny bugs sometimes. Um, cool. Yeah, it can come from all over the place. Um, so the, I, I forgot you're doing Twitch too. So these are two different things. Um, does, does the Twitch stuff end up getting put on YouTube also or is that just on Twitch? It does end up on YouTube just as like replay VODs. Um, okay. I don't get too many watches there but sometimes people that miss the streams will go back and watch the the full content later okay i'll have to uh that's a completely different topic i'll have to pick your brain sometime um but uh one of the things uh, so i've usually have you on to talk about pytest and as a reminder you've been on set for the audience you've been on seven times before that's pretty cool um <laughs> and and we're we've always talked about pytest uh partly because uh you're one of the maintainers right Yes, actually, didn't we talk about pre-commit one of the times, or, oh, like, or is that the other actually, podcast? <laughs> right. So the two of the times we talked about pre-commit, and then before that we talked about Flake Eight. Um, so these are not pytest things. Cool. Yeah, we've talked. They're related though. Uh, they all yeah. use each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah. So um, uh, one of the things I thought. So I just recently, within the last since the last time we talked, I think. Yeah, it was released in March. So the second edition of my PyTest book came out, and um, you helped with that as well. So thank you. And, yep. and, uh, and so 
I've been thinking about a lot and I'm about, <laughs> it's not surprising. And I'm also working on a video course for it. So I've been thinking about PyTest a lot and I thought it would be fun to talk with you and just come. The idea for this episode is if we didn't have users, <laughs> <laughs> legacy users, um, what what would you change about PyTest if you could change stuff? So, um, yeah. yeah, let's just actually. Jump in. I actually have a lot of ideas here because, um, <laughs> well, there was there was there was a little kerfuffle a couple of years ago where we uh, considered making a new PyTest, and um, I have a couple ideas written down from then, but also a lot of things that I've thought about since then. Uh, I kind of I have a list of like six here. We could probably do one at a time. Does that sound reasonable? Sure. Is that six or 60? Six, six, six. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for 60. I mean, it probably would change 60 things, but uh, okay. six well, important ones. Yeah, let's just run them down. And I haven't seen this list ahead of time, so I'm excited. All right. So the, the first one and the one that we are actually working towards fixing this, it's a slow migration process and it's been in progress for several years now. Um, but the first is the import system in PyTest. Uh, there's a few sort of magical things that happen based on whether you have init.py files and what import mode you select on the command line, which just makes imports really, really confusing. Um, and the reason PyTest has a custom import system is for all of the assertion rewriting. All, all, I mean, really the thing that makes PyTest PyTest is the nice assertion messages from raw assert statement. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to... The, the current goal is to make the import lib mode the default mode, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of rough edges to get to that state. I think if I were to start over, uh, I would either I would either try and make the import lib mode the default, or I would make something as close to the standard Python import system as possible, like not have any of these weird uh, namespace hoisting. Like if, if you don't put init.py files in your test directory, all of your test modules end up in a flat namespace rather than whatever folder hierarchy you have, which okay. can be really confusing for people. Okay, so as a reminder, we're what we're talking about is when I hit Py, when I've got a I've got a test directory. I think this is what we're talking about. When mm -hmm. I have have a test directory with a, like subdirectories and everything, and there's a whole bunch of tests in there, mm -hmm. and I hit and I just type pytest and or or I give it a a path or something mm -hmm. what pytest will uh go and look for files that look like tests mm -hmm. and import them is that yep. right okay yep. yeah and and the way it uh yeah before python 3 well i guess pep 420 before python 3 there weren't namespace modules so pytest had to kind of invent its own way to import modules and its own way to uh, lay out code within the test directory uh, but now there's there's other opportunities to use just the base import system to handle all of those things okay. and handle the namespace. So if you uh, have the import lib mode be the default, users, I mean, a user wouldn't know the difference, really, would they? Most wouldn't, but there's a lot of cases where uh, the tests depend on having their own test module available in sys.modules. Like if, if you are trying to access like... Uh, template files that are inside your test directory or like uh, I oh, think okay. flask apps was one of the ones that we had to put special code in to, to fix. Uh, there's a bunch of like things oh, like that that right. depend on the import system subtly that 
break. So if I have a, so if I just have like have some helper functions in a file next to my test, um, I can import the just mm -hmm. import the helper, import helper or something like that, right? Yeah, um, we don't want to break that use case too. Okay. <laughs> or there's something else. Uh, um, you would import there's, your own file or? Yeah, there's um, like one example is uh, if you have like a a bunch of test fixtures that sit in JSON files. Uh, you can usually access them using things like package resources or import lib.resources. Okay. Uh, and they go through all of the import machinery to figure out, oh, where is this file on disk? Oh, okay, I can look adjacent hmm. to that and find the JSON file. Uh, but with PyTest special import mechanisms, uh, those paths on disk aren't necessarily relative to where Py uh, PyTest sticks the module name right now. So it makes it really tricky to actually find the the important thing there. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. Um, it, I, I'm getting writing ideas down. After we get through your six, I might uh, ask you about some more. Yeah, so. sounds good. All right, yeah. let's do a more interesting one. Okay. Which is multi-process support out of the box. And mostly what I'm talking about here is XDIST and the exec neck by uh, exec Eh, execnet pipeline and the the way that PyTest schedules uh, parallel tests today. Um, basically, the, the the today story is that it's kind of a pile of hacks and it doesn't work well <laughs> with a lot of plugins. And every time we upgrade some API in PyTest or change a little bit XDIST, it breaks in mysterious ways. Uh, often, you know, operating system changes will break things too, like on. On macOS, uh, if you run in fork mode, there's a bunch of like weird edge cases with you know, PyTest and XDIS that just break in, in ways that are not great. And uh, I think we would have to severely change how the plugin API works to make something like this more tenable. Um, but if we start from scratch and you know <laughs> we could we could break every plugin all at the same time, we would <laughs> maybe be able to design something that works a little bit better. Well, one of the questions I had around XDIST was like it does a lot, uh, yeah. a lot more than I expected it to. So yeah. um, the you wouldn't you probably wouldn't pull in all of that, right? I mean, like one of the things I thought would be cool for a default would be to just be able to do a multi-process on the same machine, mm -hmm. um, on the same. But but it currently the XDIST one you can like give it an IP address and stuff and have it run tests on different computers, right? Yeah, and that stuff always terrifies me when your your testing library has an HTTP server and client in it. It's just like, oh, that's, you know, we're going to expose that to the public internet and suddenly someone's going to be mining Bitcoins because now you're in my test. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And I, I thought, why is this in here? This seems like an so extra that it didn't, uh, I guess, but maybe it's been around a long time when we didn't have multi-core chips. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think execnec... Man, I'm going to keep saying that wrong. I think EN um, had a whole bunch of you know, potential use cases in mind. And you know it, it grew in maintenance over the years. People added more and more things to it and uh, kind of <laughs> ballooned in complexity. I think okay. like the core stuff that I'm thinking about for multi-processing support is really just on the same machine. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's and that's usually all I teach. I don't teach when I when I'm teaching uh, Exodus. It's just like, look, you can run them all at the same time. Neat. Uh, and you know, 
I think it's like N. I think you N N equals four or something like that. You can get yep. four. N equals auto, and you get like it just picks. How does the auto yep. work? Do you know how auto works? So it base it sh- well the way it should work. It's slightly different than this. Uh, it queries the number of cores that are available on the machine. There's like a multi-processing dot CPU count. Okay. Uh, which isn't always accurate because, like, if you're on a Kubernetes host or you're in a Docker container that has C groups and all the other process limiting things, it's slightly off. Also, there's like, I seem to remember there's a weird bug on Windows machines that have 128 virtual cores where uh, Python won't let you spin up that many threads at once or something. I don't remember. But yeah, it queries, it queries the machine and figures it out based on the available CPU count. Okay. Cool. I'd also, the, I think oh. it'd be cool if it had a feature. Like if we had this built in, it'd be cool if it had a feature that it would just like know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if there's it, it, there's times where like if you say n equals one or two or mm-hmm. something like that, it might want to just bail and not do anything. Um, yeah. Because uh, it slows down if you do, you can just say any. I I can't remember if it def- if it turns itself off with n equals one or not. I would hope that it does. I know, uh, you know, I made a big performance improvement to Flake 8 a couple of years ago, where if you passed it one file, it was still spinning up the multiprocessing stuff and wasting like you know, 500 or 600 milliseconds doing that. And so doing it in process is much faster than... Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. All right, so multiprocess built in. I I think that too, I think, because, I mean, I anybody that... A lot of people I know are installing xdist and so yep. it's it's weird that it's not just part of it or at least this part of it is part and part of it so yeah I mean, xdist i think is the most popular plugin i can't think of anything that people would install more than that um okay so what's next so on on the same topic of multiprocessing, uh the next thing that people are always going to think about is async support uh and there are lots of plugins that bring async support to pytest and they mostly work uh but again, anytime you have to deal with some sort of plugins or the fixturing system or anything else, you kind of have to build a bunch of hacks to make those async aware. Uh, like I, I actually don't think fixtures work properly with async right now. I think most of the most of the async uh, plugins for PyTest run their own event loop, run the fixtures in the event loop, and then pass that off to another event loop. For the and again, I don't really know too much about async Go, so I'm totally off there, but. I know it's not out of the box, and I know our plugin interfaces are not async aware at all. Okay, so you, uh, I guess I'll give you the opportunity if you have one. I was going to ask you if you have a favorite async plugin uh, right now, but if you don't use it much, I'm guessing no. I have very few async. Uh, I've used I've used uh, Pytest async IO just because it has it in the name, but I didn't really do much research beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I have a chat bot that. That's my async test bed. Okay, I was just googling and I noticed that another Anthony, Anthony Shaw, has a um, an article up on async patterns for Pytest. So mm-hmm. Very good article. Is it okay? Yeah, I read it to figure my stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. So okay, um, okay, so we have three so far: import system, multi-process, um, async support. What's the fourth? Mm-hmm. So on similar, I know we're, we're following a train here. Uh, with async fixtures, we would probably need some way to change the fixture system. Uh, and I think the current fixture system is a little bit too magical. 
uh, lining up you know function arguments to fixture names based on the the function name seems a little bit too much action at a distance. Um, mm. I remember that when I first started using PyTest, I was very uncomfortable by the dependency injection stuff. Um, it works great, but it can, it trips almost everybody up. I was just uh, uh, teaching a couple of people yesterday, and it um, and they're like, "How how does how does it know how to run that?" And I'm like, "Okay, so see, here's the and I just changed the fixture name and the parameter name a few times. These all go together, um, mm -hmm. they, and they, but they is sort of it's. I don't know if there's other things like that in Python. Uh, yeah, there. So. I mean, there are lots of frameworks that work similar ways, but it's. I don't know. It always it always irks me. It's it's the magical part, and it confuses you know linters and IDEs and all the other stuff as well because they can't really piece together. Okay, yeah. I mean, PyCharm has special code for this now, but uh, it's it's hard for it's hard for a static analysis to say, oh yeah, okay, I know where this comes from because there's a function that happens to have the same name as this argument. At the same time, it's very elegant to use once you understand it. Yeah, so yeah. what what would a different way be? That's the hard part. <laughs> okay. I know I want to change it, but I don't know what I want to change it to. <laughs> I think there are definitely like more explicit ways to do stuff with that. And I, you know, decorators I don't think is an improvement, and magical type annotations I don't know that makes it work any better either. Or function defaults would at least be one way to line them up a little bit nicer. But I don't know that any of those are an improvement or easier to explain than. Don't worry about it. The names match, and that's how it ends up. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll try to think of it also. Not that I can have a solution, but... Um, yeah, not that we would ever be able to change it. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so that's... Uh, I'll come back to that a little bit. But mm -hmm. uh, what's the fifth item? Uh, so we talked earlier about how I think the assertion rewriting is the most important part of PyTest. And I, I think like that's yeah, that's the that's the that's the one killer feature it has. I mean there are a bunch of other really great things, but I think that's the one killer feature. I would love to take that assertion library and or the at least the assertion rewriting code and make it more modular and usable outside of PyTest. Uh, doesn't really need to change PyTest, but it does need to change like how PyTest would approach things because it's it's currently like very tied to various uh, you know, plugin entry points. Like there's the assert wrapper callback, and we would need to think of a way to to take that and make it a you know, a, a third party library sort of thing, or take another approach and approach it as a as an enhancement to Python itself. Like there's there's maybe a world where you could imagine Python or Python itself has a direct way to Manipulate how assertions are rendered, and then any test framework, not just PyTest, could customize assertions in the same way and and make more usable things. Or not in tests. Like sometimes I've you know thrown together a little script, and I don't have time to write if not process dot return code equals zero, raise system exit expected process to return zero but returned one. <laughs> like you know, I, I'm lazy. I I'll just do assert proc.return code equals equals zero and you know yeah install something that sacrifices a little bit of performance but gives me better error messages. Yeah. Yeah. Um I 
that's something I'd like to have looked at also. I think it'd be cool if, and that's something I think is actually possible um, mm -hmm. uh, without breaking backwards compatibility. Um, I think the assertion mechanism in PyTest is so cool, right? And I think you're right. It's the killer feature. It's at least, it's one of the killer features, but yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's really neat. Um, but it, uh, I'd like it. I'd, if, there's even been a comment on the unit test uh, uh, repo, I think, to say mm -hmm. it'd be cool if we could have the PyTest rewriting, have that be an option in, in unit test if, mm -hmm. if there was a, if that mechanism was like pulled out somehow. I also think it'd be neat to have it depend on something else. Like I'd like to have that that mechanism of basically we were looking at assert statements and we're re, we're doing some rewriting of that. Why just assert? I mean, maybe maybe there's some other methods. So I was like, for instance, um, I've got the uh, the little plugin pytest check um, mm -hmm. that uh, instead of asserting, it just makes cause it keeps running, but. Uh, causes your test to fail anyway later so you can have multiple mm -hmm. failures and mm, you've helped yeah, you've helped me with that um the but it would be great if we could just like almost introduce a new function like just check to, that just look just like a cert or some other name either mm -hmm. that that just look, look just like it or whether it was a, a i can't i don't know if, whether it makes sense if it was a because a cert's not a function a cert's a built-in yeah, right? Keyword, keyword ends up being a statement. Um, so uh, I don't know if we, it'd be kind of fun to have a, a mechanism where you could just basically add new keywords to the language with with a plugin or something or whatever. So you can with terrible encoding hacks. Like, uh, did you see my library that made it so you could use f strings in Python two? I I didn't. I don't think I did. Oh, okay. So it's called feature f strings, and basically the way it works is, uh, you remember in Python two, you'd have to put that star dash star coding UTF eight thing at the top of files. Yeah. Okay. So what it does is it makes an encoding that's compatible with UTF eight, but it has a special name. And while turning the bytes of the file into text, which usually just be a decode for UTF eight, it rewrites the source of the file. So you could you could make a you know, maybe let's let's say that it's a expect keyword rather than an assert keyword. You yeah. could make you could make a terrible encoding plugin that sees essentially the assert statement, but it's an expect statement. And instead of raising an exception, it collects it in a local variable or something like that, or whatever yeah. you want to do, because you could you could rewrite the code to do anything. Um, and so you could imagine you know building building a, a you could hack it together right now, but you could imagine a first class system where Python itself allows you to, to build these sorts of things. It would basically be like making you know, Babel or Babel or however it's pronounced in JavaScript land, like making that a first class system. Okay. I think it's possible. It would, it would take a lot of arguing and a lot of peps to make it happen, though. Okay. But on the, on the PyTest side, since we're doing the it's got like that custom import thing to do the assert mm -hmm. rewriting that seems like a great place to do something extra like that at least mm -hmm. during tests or, yeah so. oh yeah and pytest could totally do this okay without without the without the encoding hack <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it would confuse the heck out of out of linters though just the that's the tough part it's like how do you make your code how do you 
how do you introduce these special things without breaking all of your code quality tools? Yeah, and so one of the and the reasons why it take we have to jump through hoops if anybody doesn't remember is um, if in unit test unit test has like these uh, like assert equal and the reason why they have that is so that you get both sides of the equal because it's mm -hmm. be, because what you're what you're passing when we say assert in pytest what we're passing to assert is true or false essentially. Yeah. And, but we want, we don't want that. We want like the pieces. If it's an equal statement, we want both the left and the right. So that the, so that our nice error message can say these two things were equal and this is why. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have those pieces, you can't get at it. And the, the, so all of the assert rewriting is makes it so that we can pull those pieces apart and pass yep. it to the assert helpers. So, yeah, and you don't have to build all your fancy messages all by yourself. Yeah. That gets old real quick. Yeah, I was just looking at. I was like, I was a uh, um, last time I was looking at tr teaching this. Um, the like, if you assert uh, just like two lists are equal, um, mm -hmm. if there's pieces that are not equal, it underlines which ones are not equal. And you, even if it's like everything's the same, but one's longer than the other, it like underlines the longer part. There's mm -hmm. so many cool things in there. I just love it. Anyway, okay, but we're. We're not talking about what we love. We're talking about what we want to change. So, uh, <laughs> so we got through five so far. What's your last one? Okay, the last one. Oh boy, wait. What was or, the last? Oh, okay. So the last one is actually something that Ronnie and I are thinking pretty hard about and going to make some prototypes soon. Uh, and it's similar to you know splitting out the assertion library. We want to make assertions better in some cases by having a concept of matchers. Let me, let me give you a scenario because the, the concept of matcher is a little bit nebulous. Uh, one thing that I do a lot in, in testing is I'll have the output from a program or an error message or something like that. And I want to check whether that matches a particular regular mm. expression. Yeah. And out of the box, if you just do you know, re.compile or re.matches, you get none or you get a match object. And when it doesn't match, it's really difficult to find where in that string, like, okay, what, what went wrong there? And you're like, oh, it didn't match, but I, I don't know why. And you know, debugging a regular expression to figure out, you know, okay, this is the character that, you know, where it stopped matching or something like that is, is really tricky. Um, I've actually made a library for this that makes it a little bit easier to do these assertions, but it doesn't gel nicely with PyTest, and this pattern doesn't extend very well. The library is called reassert, uh, where it, it'll do, it'll basically run the regex as a partial match and try and find the exact character where it stopped matching. Um, that's one example. Another example is like you get a JSON response. You care about three items in the JSON response. And you don't really care about uh, the rest. Or there's like one value in the JSON response that's not useful. So you yeah. throw a mock.any in there. Uh, but if you ever get an assertion failure, PyTest is going to say, oh, mock.any and whatever's on the other side, their repers are different. We get this big diff when you really only cared about the actual thing you were trying to match. Hmm. And so it's it's basically the basic idea around it is to make a better system for generating partial diffs for either structured objects or objects with interesting properties or different batching strategies that aren't just equality. Um, and then extending that so that anyone can write their own custom matchers. Uh, and <laughs> It, we're, we're we're prototyping right now and it's not going well but 
I think if we had started with this idea while building a brand new test framework, it would be a lot easier to to think about those things now. Okay, does this have anything to do? I mean, does this utilize structural pattern matching at all, or um... so? <laughs> <laughs> they both have the word match in the, in the name. They do. They do. Or we could, I don't know if we, we have enough time for me to grumble about the uh, just powerful enough, but not powerful enough uh, pattern matching. But uh, we've thought about ways to utilize the match statements and the, the you know structural pattern matching. Uh, unfortunately, there is just not enough plugin points to write something that isn't a huge hack. Uh, okay. You can you can kind of customize the behavior of match with you know meta classes, properties, and a whole a whole bunch of very difficult to debug uh, meta programming. But it's gonna be way easier for us to just use plain functions <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> okay. Well around so is this is the matching okay? One of the ways I use uh, some matching is uh, with um, when I'm testing plugins itself with the, the mm -hmm. PyTester has the like match output thing. Is that yep. is that part of PyTester, right? Yeah. So that's that's one thing that also we think we think we would be able to take the PyTester parts and implement them as you know uh, matcher helpers things things that uh, aren't just you know right. Right now, if you need a special matcher, we have to add a method to PyTester, and then we maintain these like 20 different methods that each are slightly different about how you would assert your output. But uh, in, okay. a, in an ideal world, you would be able to take you know, a, starts, a starts with matcher and maybe a ends with matcher and, and compose them together and check an output using that, where you might have like, you know, uh, it has these exact lines at the beginning, it has these that match by regular expressions in the middle, and it has, you know, these exact matches at the end. Right now, you would have to like manually pick apart the output, figure out where the lines are, you know, do a lot of length checks and querying, and it's just yeah. not easy to express. And it's not easy to read the test to do those too. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's cool that it's there. So, mm -hmm. um, if people aren't familiar, if they're not writing plugins, the PyTester is a built-in or it's a built-in plugin that, but you have to turn it on. It's the only mm -hmm. one. I think it's the only one you have to turn on that doesn't come with Py that comes with PyTest. Yeah, it's off by default because it it changes how the test runner works a little bit, and okay. it's a, it's a little bit slower. So easy um, to keep it off by default. But you turn it on if you're testing a plugin, and it has some, some cool features to be able to like write little mini tests to test them and and run 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 tests run tests with it use pytest to test your pytest plugin uh, which, which, <laughs> use but, pytest test pytest testing pytest <laughs> yes but it's cool um but these matchers i always one of the things i've thought is like why aren't they they're not available without outside of pytest are they no no okay so the this this matcher feature that we already have it's so if i have a um like a, a pytest plugin that changes the uh like changes the output or something. One of the things I can do is just capture the output of running PyTest on my stuff mm -hmm. with with the plugin and look at the output and say, um, these lines are going to, it's just like a string, straight strings, but it has some wildcard stuff. You can have stars and things like that. And you can, yep. you're, you're looking for these strings and they, and you don't like, for instance, I can have, 
I can say there's going to be tons of output, but I can say that there's just these few lines are going to show up and they're going to show up in this order. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of neat, but it's, yeah, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, it is confusing. It's not obvious what's going on, but anyway. yeah. And it's hard to use anywhere else because you would have, you'd have to reimplement all that behavior. Oh, another good example of matchers. And we have one today that kind of works like this is the pytest.approx. Uh, oh yeah. Where, you know, you have, you have, numeric values they you don't really care about the floating point rounding error and so use a prox to say okay this should be about equal to this number uh and today you can you can use them with floats you can use them with a couple other numeric types complex and you can put them in lists and you can, they have special code for numpy and like there's all this complexity around pytest approx that really just boils down to we want to have nice assertion messages for numbers that are close to each other. And Ronnie and I want to take that same idea and generalize it without us having to you know, teach a prox about NumPy and teach a prox about pandas and like all these all these other numerical libraries that uh, right now it has to <laughs> has to have special code to understand how they work. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Well I mean that's that's where a lot of people are using this now. Uh, and and the, I get lots of questions of how do I check stuff that's not a known value? It's like ish. It's in this range. I'm like, oh, there's lots of ways we can do it. Uh, but yeah, there's a. Have you heard of a prox? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then NumPy itself has some some uh, assert helper methods for things like that too. So yeah, NumPy also kind of throws a wrench in a lot of PyTest's assertion methods because, for, for instance, NumPy arrays override equals equals to give you back another matrix. There. The, the mm. equals equals is a projection across the uh, the the matrix rather than an equality check, and so there's a whole there's a whole other set of assertion helpers in NumPy dot testing that you know you have to you have to remember to import NumPy dot testing and do NumPy dot testing dot which uh, yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that would actually need a change in Python. Like I think Python dare I suggest a triple equals operator, but Python would maybe do better to have like a an equality check that's actually an equality check, not something that's overloadable. But okay, so then when PyTest does the rewrite, does it deal with NumPy correctly? Then I think we have a warning, maybe. Okay. Uh, if we don't, we absolutely should, because uh, you know the, those those assertions are always going to be. Well, are they going to always be true? I forget if a NumPy array that contains entirely false is truthy or not, but. I'm pretty sure those assertions will always be true, and so they're they're not <laughs> they're uh, not doing what the programmer intended. Well, maybe they are doing what the programmer intended, but the programmer didn't necessarily know that they were doing a projection. Okay, okay, I think I've uh, exited my depth of knowledge here, but uh, that's okay. Um, uh, I don't work enough with NumPy to like. I mean, I don't I don't think I've got. I'd use it for pi- tests. But I try and avoid tests, it, so, so I don't use it very often either. I mean, I use it for <laughs> other stuff, but I don't think I write tests with NumPy arrays. But anyway, um, uh, so that was their six. Did you come up with like any uh, while we were talking? Or uh... I have some like smaller ideas, but yeah, those those are the those are the main ones that half of those were from the last time I thought about this, and the the async one is a little bit new, and the matchers is something that we've just been looking at recently. But yeah, those <laughs> are those are the things that I would I would. Think about when writing from the ground up. Oh, I just thought of another one. That okay, it's gonna be a little bit spicier. Uh, 
which is to ban class-based death. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which would also kill unit test compatibility. Well, okay, so uh, are you okay with it? Let's let's move on to my list. And I, I okay. didn't even I didn't even write it down, but I've got things in my head. Um, so I, I didn't consider banning class-based tests cause it, but it's not a terrible idea. I mean, it confuses a lot of people because they're not, you're not really test classes are dumb. I think <laughs> well, what, what I see frequently is people will make these giant base classes that have hundreds of unrelated helpers and then they'll import that everywhere. Oh. And it's really just cause people are too lazy to import their, uh, helper methods. Okay, I I would not even go down that road. I the only reason why I ever use classes is just to group tests. So yeah. if I've got like three I or think four, that's fine. Three or four tests in a file with no base class, and I just want to group them into a class. Um, maybe it's we just ban test inheritance. Test inheritance maybe that's test maybe that's the less controversial way to put this. Yeah, I'm okay, okay with that. The thing that I I would just throw out is uh, some of the compatibility plugins we've got. So mm-hmm. I'd I'd throw out the unit test plugin uh, thing. We're killing so. the nose one. That one's going away. Finally. Oh, I was going to kill that also. Killing the nose, but um, is that is that going away then? Yeah, there was a. I think, I think it's going to be deprecated in seven two and then removed in eight. If I was following that patch correctly. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're we're, <laughs> we're finally cutting out the nose compatibility. And this, one of the important things around this is uh, that I guess that's going to cut out setup and teardown method. Uh, uh, so those will still be there because of the unit test stuff. Uh, and we have some like special X unit compatibility for those. Uh, but there's there's this like most of the ripping out no stuff is some like weird decorator compatibility things and okay. some. Uh, Test generation stuff that knows does. Okay, but there's the just the ability to have like a setup, setup, uh, whatever setup method or setup module and teardown module. Those will. Still I think be those around. will still be there. Yeah. Okay. Well, don't don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure they'll still be there. <laughs> well, I I'd rip them out. I'm like, this is how you write PyTest. Don't write it any other way. Just yeah. You, if you yeah. want setup teardown, use a fixture. Um, uh, the the thing that I, uh. Um, fixtures are way easier to use right now than I uh, than they used to be when I first started using PyTest. And um, you had to, you used to, I don't know if you had to, but you had to register your teardown method or something. Um, yeah, the uh, request dot add finalizer thing. Yeah, that. And I haven't used that in years. Um, yeah, yield fixtures are so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the um, one thing around it though that is I don't even know if this is fixable or changeable is like if I have a test with um uh with no arguments mm-hmm. I can just write if I want to try see what it looks like without pytest I can just write a like a if if dunder name equals dunder main and mm-hmm. just call my tests in, yep. in the file and run python on it and it'll run those tests I can't do that if there's fixtures cuz the parameters aren't filled in yeah, well, you probably could. Well, actually, I think we deprecated return values from fixtures, so they always return none now. So maybe that wouldn't work. But yeah, it is kind of it is kind of harder to introspect those directly. Yeah, Although but my test dash s is pretty close. Yeah, the um the other thing uh, which throws some people is so I, 
I don't know what happens now. Uh, if you if you call a fixture within within your code, what happens? So it used so there was a long deprecation warning period. I think it's finally been switched to an error. Okay. Um, because uh, basically it was, or the, the rationale behind it was that if you call a fixture outside of PyTest's normal uh, you know, lifecycle management, that fixture will never get torn down because Py, PyTest is, you know, it, it was just a normal function before then. Uh, so now any call outside of PyTest will, will raise an error. Okay. I think. <laughs> I hope so. But but also it throws some people off because they're like, well, I want to try out. I just want to try out because try out my fixture by running it, but you can't, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But um. Anyway, uh, the 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 other thing that I was thinking about was um. <laughs> there's now now my brains. I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, um. The uh. What was I thinking about? Oh, the hook functions. I mm -hmm. think there's too many. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot that people don't use, and like we're added experimentally, and then you know maybe one plugin uses them. I think uh, a lot of that can be simplified. Also, I think the way the way hooks work adds a lot of overhead to anything that happens in PyTest. Like anytime, anytime you run a test, you run like twenty or thirty function calls just to run the test, uh, and most of those are just like no ops in in hooks. Uh, I think some of that could be fixed by porting Pluggy to C. Uh, maybe I don't want to say C. Uh, let's just say porting it to Rust. There, we'll we'll make people happier about <laughs> picking a compiled language. Yeah. Um, but porting it to some you know native low level, uh, faster dispatch, et cetera, et cetera. I think that would make the plugin system less. Right, right now, it feels clunky and slow because it, it kind of is. Um, and I, I think we could do something way better there. But also, I, yeah, there's so many, there's so many plugin APIs. Well, and I don't. The documentation's a problem then, also, because I they're dot they're not documented that well. And what I'd like to have around hooks is not just this is what it does, but here's an example of use of of a test uh, using it. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. because so that you could visually you could see, oh, this is how you, how it works. Um, and some of them. Some of them seem to be work in conf test files, and some of them don't work in conf test files. Yeah, uh, I'm not so gonna lie. When I make a plugin, I go to Sourcegraph, I type in the PyTest API that I think I might need. I find plugins that have used it before, and I copy paste because <laughs> <laughs> it's overwhelming even to me. Sourcegraph. Yeah. Oh, Sourcegraph's great. It's um. They're, they're a startup that does uh, code search, and there's a public instance that runs against GitHub. So anytime I want to be like, oh, how do, how do people use this function? I'll just you know, slap it in there, put file type Python, get a bunch of examples. OK, I'm, I'm looking this up right after I get, because that, that's what I do. I, I, I think, like, what? So like, let's say I have an output plugin or something that I want to change mm -hmm. the output of. I think about like what plugins might change the output and I try to go look at that code. But that's just because of my experience with plugins. But mm -hmm. uh, using something like this would be good. Um, but it'd be cool to have like a list. And then, but we could also like take like, well, I don't know, the top 100, 200 plugins and see which hook functions they're using and see, uh, it, and then the rest of them maybe get rid of them. Um, or... <laughs> 
I'm down. I'm always down to delete code. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, I don't know. Uh, the the That sort of reporting mechanism is sort of black magic also. Um, I yeah, think, yeah. Uh, the having that be more clear of like okay here's the at at this point this is the this is the results of all the tests now you've got a place where you can you can do something with it um uh speaking of which pytest does collection before it starts test running the tests yeah i think it would be cool to start running the test the first time it finds a test that it can run uh, yeah and 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 so that it doesn't like because a, a huge test code base takes a while to find them all mm-hmm. um and having having that split up into uh two processes would be cool um yeah yeah i think some of the like multi-process ideas might would potentially be able to do that i don't know if they're ever going to get implemented. my head <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also think that uh shoot what was i just gonna say oh no it's gone that's all right mm, anyway we can continue <laughs> But that that I guess I think that's a really big one for me because I'd like to be able to. Uh, there's, a, I'd also w- within a fixture I'd like to be able to know the test result. But yeah, but you can't because it might not. It might. I don't know why you can't. Because uh, it might change. Um, hmm. I think it might be because a teardown could fail. But right. So I if think you, you should know up until that point. That should be accessible. But yeah, I think. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna you know start from scratch, the current plugin architecture and the current set of uh, you know API calls, they're largely historical baggage and things that we just like we can't really overhaul them without breaking a bunch of plugins. But if we started from scratch, we could take a much better, a much more thoughtful approach to how the APIs line up and like have much more reasonable you know like a reporting plugin. There would be a one obvious way to do it rather than you know, the five or six things you have to override and like the various places you have to keep somewhat global state, like you know, the, the, the handing, you have to hand your data back and forth to PyTest. Like we could we could have a much better thoughtful process about how all of those APIs are set up rather than they've just sprung up as, as needed and get maintained over time. Yeah, I mean, people come up with hacks that work and then because it works. Uh... <laughs> So, and I'm not saying that PyTest is a hack. I'm saying like plugins, plugin <laughs> authors have to do that. I mean, we kind of have to like figure out something that works and hope that it keeps working uh, sometimes, um, especially if we're doing something dumb and nasty like PyTest check does of uh, <laughs> interrogating the internals of PyTest. But well, I mean, PyTest is kind of a hack too. Like all of, all of the assertion stuff that we, we know and love, that's, you know, Essentially, bytecode rewriting as an import. Like, whoa, like, big, <laughs> big hack warning there. You ever saw that in production? I would be terrified. But eh, we run that same code every day. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently, it's important enough to hold off uh, beta releases of Python <laughs> at sometimes. A few have slipped through that break it. But yeah, we've, uh, PyTest has been the source of uh, quite a few release blockers in CPython's release. But um, but that's okay. Pytest is kind of popular. Uh, yep. it, it works great. Well, uh, I think I ran out of things that I would like to change right away. The 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 hook functions really are a big one for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I think also I like the idea that uh, if a, a setup method like a fixture before the test runs fails, that's mm-hmm. an error. 
um, yeah. which is good. But I mean, and maybe both of these could coalesce into an error, but it, it, um, it seems like after the test is done, we should be able to like have, if, if a teardown happens that causes an error mm. or fail, like a tear, it totally should be able to one, one, you can't cause, I guess you can, uh, it, you have to jump through hoops for a fixture to declare that the test was a failure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, there's actually situations right now where if the test fails and the teardown fails, you actually get two failures for one test. Uh, yes. And I could imagine in like an async world where you have a bunch of, you know, if this gets into like exception groups and all that other complexity there. You could you could have a whole bunch of coroutines happening at once and have several coroutines fail in different ways. And you, you would have, you know, instead of one failure status for a test, you might have three or four or five failure status for a test. Yeah, and I can even see like there's been some plugins that kind of have to jump through, like keep track of their own state and stuff to just have that set. So like really at any given time, it seems reasonable, like even during a test, to be able to use a um, like a built-in fixture or something to look up, well, what is the state of all the, the tests as we know it? Like mm -hmm. has, has anything failed yet? Um, or or to have a dependency. Like uh, uh, one of the things that I I put in place recently, which is hard to get right, was um, I've got a system level fixture or a, uh, it's not system, it's a session level, session, session uh, scoped fixture that ha connects to the thing I'm testing. Mm -hmm. And at any time where there's there's a certain state that the connection could get in that's not recoverable. Yep. Um, so I do that like once per module to check mm -hmm. to see if the connection's still alive and if yeah, it's and not fail fast or do yeah, all sorts of smart if stuff. If not, um, if the if there, then I'm erroring the or either erroring or skipping the rest of the tests, um, mm -hmm. so they don't try to run because the connection is not going to work. But I wanted to do that like around each test, but it's difficult. Um, or or to be able to say like bail, I don't want to run any more tests. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, uh, anyway, those sorts of things are hard, but um, I guess the the some of the parallel work that you're thinking would be cool. I think that'd be mm -hmm. neat. So, so how many of these? So, there's a few that you said we're probably not going to do. We're probably not going to tear out a bunch of hook functions because there's legacy legacy stuff. Yeah, uh, but the fixture system could uh, be possibly that would break a bunch of stuff too. But changing. Yeah. I think the reasonable, the things that could reasonably get done. Well, let's see. I think the things that could reasonably get done is the import system could change. Uh, splitting out the assertions as a library that could reasonably get done. I think matchers will will come up with something that's somewhat workable. Uh, I don't know. We might burn out on the idea too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think support. we can change. Async. That one's tricky because. Um, I think it could be done. It would need to change. We would need to make the plugin system async aware. Um, it, it's a it's a function coloring problem, which is always always a pain. Um, you know, you, you need you need every part of the fixture system to understand async. You need every part of the test writing system to understand async. Mm. Maybe even plugins want to implement their uh, plugin hooks as async, and so suddenly you have to you know, be worrying about event loops and all that other state that PyTest doesn't even think about right now. Um, okay. So it, it definitely could get done. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, though. Okay. 
Uh, pulling some of the Exodus in could possibly happen. Yeah, I think Exodus would need to. I think we would need to rewrite the the like the idea of Exodus is great. Uh, Execnet is essentially unmaintained and barely hobbling along. So like that that would need a, a rewrite. We would probably want to think about um, you know having PyTest execution be multi-phased. Like right right now, Exodus is kind of kind of a hack. Like it spins up to the primary processes like it little daemon that controls all the other runners and you know, that's sort of shimmied into an early PyTest hook that doesn't really super make sense for what it's doing. You know, it'd, it'd be nice to have core think of like, okay, we are the primary process. We have a certain set of hooks that run in the primary discovery and then we delegate the rest of that to all the other workers or, or things like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Rather than bolting it on the side, which is kind of how it works now. Okay. But I think that one, yeah, I think that's definitely doable. It would take a lot of, you know, take a lot of concerted effort to get it done. And there's so many other things to do. Okay. Um, I mean, if I was like nice, I would, could go help work on documenting the hook functions better, but um, we'll see. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do. Uh, yep. Well, so the, are there, Things that are not on the list that um, that are coming up in PyTest that are probably coming that um, you can share. Uh, I don't have the list. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> At the moment, but no, yeah, there's just... there's always stuff coming. <laughs> so uh, you said you mentioned earlier that maybe like at some point in the past, somebody had toyed with the idea of forking PyTest. Um, yeah, yeah, we had an idea of maybe starting over about i think it was oh when was that was that 2020 i think it was the beginning of 2020 uh yeah there there was an idea that uh ronnie bruno and i would sit down and think of what what new pie test would be and we didn't really get too far there but we we did we did think about that <laughs> okay but uh not currently so we, uh uh Ronnie Fanschmidt, Bruno Oliveira, and you um, are all part of PyTest, but the team is not that. There's more people working on PyTest, but it's not huge, yeah. is it? Yeah. So Core is leave five right now. Okay. Actually, I mean the groups on GitHub don't match up with our actual structure is, but there's I don't know. There's it's like a hundred people that have commit bit, so there's there's quite a wide maintainership. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. Somehow I got put in the the group also, which hey, I, hey, nice. <laughs> which uh, which is both good and bad. I get a lot of email now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't I don't let the PyTest emails get in my inbox. I, <laughs> I make it a task that I go to the issue tracker and check it once a week, rather yeah. than, or, yeah. or once a day or That's whatever good. cadence that I want to do. Because uh, there is a lot, there's a lot of emails that go through the PyTest issue tracker. I mean, there's nearly 750 open issues. There's 60 plus PRs open. There's you know thousands of run. Oh, we we just passed issue 10,000. So there's, there's quite the backlog. Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My condolences is perhaps My the appropriate reaction okay. to that. Okay. Well, um, 
I sure enjoyed talking about this, but I wanted to like encourage everybody else. We're talking about some things that we would love to like maybe change or see in the future. Um, or if we didn't have users, we could rip it, stuff out. Um, uh, but we both of us still love PyTest. Uh, yep. don't, don't get us wrong. And then also, um, but there is room for, is there room for people to join the the, the project if they want to help oh, out? Oh, of course. Yeah, PyTest is always accepting more contributors. Okay. There's always tons of, there's, I mean, there's 700 open issues. There's all sorts of stuff to work on and bugs to fix and features to implement. Yeah. And if anybody wants to jump on that whole documenting the hook functions thing better, um, I'd love that. But uh, but it is better. So the, the documentation is getting, um, I don't know if there's current work on the documentation, but the, the, the website sure is a lot. I mean, there's a lot more information than there was say 10 years ago when I started looking at it. 100%, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, so kudos to everybody, whoever worked on that. So, uh, But thanks. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you, and we'll catch up uh, hopefully before next year. But if not, I guess we, once a year we should talk in the summer. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure.